July 20th, 2023, episode 118 of the Humo Podcast. I got one question. Men, women, and children, hope is in the building. Hey! I mean, I guess that wasn't a question. It was more of a statement. That's my question. Now, my, my second question is, as you critique my rapping continually, we're five weeks into this rap now, would you rather Rory, the man that created that rap, be the one that uh, raps it every week? Men, women, and children, hope is in the building. Men, women, and children, hope is in the building. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know, like, which, which way to go. <sighs> or maybe Rory can come on the podcast and, you know, lean back into his rap experience uh, and help me, help me rap, all right? Like a vocal coach, maybe a rap coach. Oh, my gosh. What if I get a rap coach? What if an entire episode of the podcast is me learning how to rap? Men, women, and children, hope is in the building. Women and children, hope is in the building. Men, women, and children, hope is in... I mean, like, like, what if that's what it was? Okay. Oh, Dr. Delight broke down right when I needed him to. We'll fade him out. Welcome to episode... What, wait, I already said what episode it is. 119? Well, no, 118 of the Human Hope Podcast. 100 and freaking 18 episodes. Who am I? Who in the world am I? Can, can I let you guys know? I'm going to scroll back here really quickly. If you, if you're a new listener to the Human Hope Podcast, uh, thank you for listening. There are 119 weeks that you can catch up on. Okay. The first episode of this podcast was with my friend, Sharon McMahon, March 4th, 2021. I was a completely different human being back then. Like, have you, have you guys grown with me on this journey? Hmm. I just, I, that's a long time. That's a lot of podcasts. You know, I actually saw a, um, a reel today, Jesse Itzler. I won't play it because he cusses, but I'll, I'll reiterate what he said. Jesse Itzler, he's talking about quitting and he's like, there are 2 million active podcasts on Apple podcasts right now. 2 million, 500,000 of those only uploaded one episode and then they quit. 500, a quarter, right? Is that a quarter? I think so. Of all the podcasts on Apple podcast in the directory, they stopped recording the podcast after one episode. I'm at episode 118, people. I am the picture of consistency. I think, I mean, he goes on to say that like another half of, you know, maybe another 500,000, I can't remember what it is, are 10 episodes or less and then they quit. Uh-uh. Not us, not us at Human Hope. We're going to continue to drop the hope. And today, Lord have mercy, do we have some hope? We have got some hope. And it's not just coming from me. I've given you two episodes of just Carlos Enrique Whitker Guzman and Chibol Cabello. Just two, two episodes in a row of me. Great. Fa- or maybe it was more than that. I can't remember. But the last few have just been me. No, it was the last two. This week, we're going to come back in with a guest. And this guest is filled with hope. One of my, one of my, one of the, my longest standing friends that, that, that I have as far as like in this season of life and line of work that I've been doing, I've known Eugene Cho for a long time. We, we both have like gone through different iterations of who we are and we're going to get to Eugene in a second. He's literally, literally, you're going to be hanging on every word. He's so smart. Why, why, why don't I just get smarter people than me and interview them on the podcast? I don't know. 
But it did seem like you guys really enjoyed last week's episode of the Doom Scrolling episode. Hopefully you got some um, handlebars that you can help yourself with that. And that's actually a little little hint into my next book. Shh, you didn't hear it here. Also, uh, I am, let's see, as of the recording right now, it is Monday, a couple days before you listen to this podcast. I'm like three days back from Europe. So last week I flew from... Uh, Geneva, Switzerland to New York City. And then I was in Good Morning America. How many of you guys saw me on Good Morning America? I talked about you. So that was cool. So I got to talk about how to human on Good Morning America. But all I'd say, it took me like two days. I, I, I take the little Z, kind of NyQuil Z sleep medicine tablets. I get worried I'm going to get addicted to those. So I try to only take them like two nights. And then the third night is just, a, I'm just a wreck. I, I'm up at like 3 a.m., can't go back to sleep. But I'm just now getting back into my rhythm. Now, when you guys listen to this, if you listen to this podcast the morning that it comes out, I will be in a few hours, or maybe I am already by the time you're listening to this, on an airplane after already spending 14 days in Europe and my jet lag clock is off, I'm going to have just gotten over my jet lag here in America and I'm back on an airplane to Kigali, Rwanda. That's right. While you're listening to this, just be praying that the airplane stays up in the air. Do you ever think, do you ever think to yourself like, how in the world, I think about it all the time when I'm airplane, how in the world do these, these tons and tons of metal stay suspended in the sky? Does that not freak anybody else out? I'm a million miler. I'm a Delta Diamond. I still get freaked out by that little uh, fact. I, I just think how, I, this doesn't make sense. Humans are freaking smart. How's your summer been? Are you as hot and miserable as we are here in Nashville, Tennessee? Lord have mercy. It is sweltering here. I'm over it. O-V-E-R-I-T. It. Even my bees in my backyard. I haven't done a bee update in a while. My bees in my backyard. I got home. Every single freaking bee that lives inside their little bee house is hanging outside. Like It looks like a beard on, my, on, on the bee hive. Why? Because it's too hot inside even for the bees. It's so hot. So hopefully you're not hot where you're at. Hopefully you're cold. Are any of you listening to me anywhere where it's cold in the world? Let me know. I really do also love when you guys, you know, email me and DM me and all the things because I love to know what you guys think about the podcast. I'm not, I don't just want to speak into the abyss and have thousands and thousands of people listen to it without telling me what you think. We are catering this uh, show towards you. So hopefully summer's going well. I know a lot of you are on summer vacations, your podcast listening schedule. I know I uh, you're, you're probably in front of a bunch of little ears maybe. And so I'm trying to keep it very summary in our conversations. <laughs> and today we have an incredible conversation with our friend, Eugene Cho. Let me tell you a little bit about Eugene. Eugene, first and foremost, is a dear friend of mine. He's a, an advocate for justice. He's an intellectual. He may not want me to explain him as that, but he's just really wicked smart. Uh, but he's also very grounded in his theology and he's very grounded in his humanity. Uh, he's just a really good human. He sees people just like I, you know, love people figuring out how to do is how to be human, see humans and free humans. So, you know, he's just an incredible guy and he's going to share his story today. And honestly, part of his story, I never heard, I never knew before. Like he, he actually talks about being so hungry as a child, as an immigrant to the United States of America, that when his family immigrated here, there were moments growing up that he literally had to pull up grass from outside to eat because that was the only thing they could do to satisfy their hunger pangs. So, I mean, 
just his childhood struggles. He grew up working in his parents' family grocery store. And just the life of an immigrant, the life of a, a Asian American immigrant coming to America, what that was like in the 80s and the 70s, uh, what what it's like now. We're going to talk a lot about it, a lot about that. And I really think that you're going to enjoy it. But the crux of the conversation is Eugene sharing with us what we can do, what we can do to truly and honestly end hunger, not only in America, but around the world. Eugene is the president of Bread for the World. It's an advocacy organization who their mission is to help end hunger by informing, here it is, and impacting legislation, laws, and policies. This one, you're going to love. Human Hope Fam, welcome, Eugene Cho. Okay, Human Hope Familia, I've got my longtime friend, Eugene Cho, on the show today. Eugene, you're coming to me from, I'm looking at, at you on the screen right now, and you look like you're in an office. Are you at your house? Where are you at right now? Well, first of all, man, thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Los. Uh, it's great to just not be on the podcast, but really to catch up because yeah. it's been it's been a minute. Uh, right now, I'm joining you from my home office in Seattle. Okay, but I'm actually going back and forth from Seattle and DC. Wow, wow. So listen, I mean, we're I, I think we're around the same age. That sounds exhausting to me. I'm not quite sure what back and forth from Seattle to DC actually consists of, but unless you've got some sort of beam you up device or a private jet, that tell me that that thing is maybe adding some gray to your head. Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't realize you were 29, but that's cool. Um, yeah. So, so, well, you know, I'm not sure if. Uh, if folks probably can't see the gray on a podcast oh, and sure. if you're watching this yes. on video, you know, let's filter out the gray with yeah. a little bit of that black. But yeah, you know, it's been it's been a challenge. Sure. But uh, this is the season that I think uh, that I believe God's called me to do. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we weren't able to move to mm. D.C. as we had intended on doing Got so. It. Got it. And I, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into the whole uh, purpose around D.C. Absolutely. But yeah. It's it, you know, I think uh, probably like you and I, as we're trying to be present with our our, our, our spouses, our children that are growing up. It's been yeah. a, it's been a, a, an adjustment, but yes. trying to stay fit in all, <laughs> in all things. Yeah, no, that is so good. Uh, yes, we will get into, you know, kind of the reason why you're kind of flying back and forth. But one thing I would love to do is just kind of start off so that the listener understands. I've, I have, I've known you for a long time. When I say known you, we've never necessarily like, we hang out a lot. We used to hang out a lot like in green rooms at conferences and I would see you at Catalyst conferences or I'd see you and you've actually kind of gone through just different, there's been different iterations of Eugene that I've kind of seen throughout the years, like local pastor Eugene. And then, you know, I, I know that you you had a few different nonprofits that you were just, you had a heart for, and then we find yourself here. So do us a favor and this is a very softball question, and, and you can take as mm -hmm. long as you want, but kind of let us know who you are. Like, like, like what, mm -hmm. is the, what is the heartbeat and, and how you got to where you are now? Kind of give us, give us that flow, that story arc. Hmm. 
Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And thank you for giving me that time yeah. to kind of give a little bit of context. Yeah. So if I can zoom way, way back, so I was born, I was born in Seoul, South Korea, immigrated to the United States when I was six years old. And uh, my parents grew up in the Korean War. My father was born in what is now called North Korea. He was born in a small little village outside of a city called Pyongyang. And so I think their story and the story of my ancestors, my grandparents, uh, my immigration story, it really informs the way that I see the world. Mm. Because of the story of poverty and immigration, experiencing life as a foreigner or as an other has always shaped my lens and how I read the scripture. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why as an 18-year-old young man, I made a decision to follow Christ because as I was reading the scriptures, I was fascinated and compelled by how Jesus loved all people, but yeah. was particularly drawn to those who were kind of on the margins. So, you know, you fast forward many years, I went to seminary, felt called to become a pastor. I was a local church pastor for uh, nearly 30 years. But even as a pastor, you know, I was really yeah. convicted by, you know, what some people call the whole gospel, that mm. Jesus cares about the human soul, that Jesus calls us uh, to repent, to be in relationship with him. And in addition to that, that Jesus cared about the whole world. Jesus cares about about compassion and justice. Jesus cares about suffering. Yeah. And so I think whether as a local church pastor or in my current role as someone leading a nonprofit, that's always been, I think, the crux, the foundation of who I am, a follower of Jesus who believes in the kingdom of God, who believes in the good news that Jesus saves and Jesus is also redeeming the world even as we speak. Wow. And so that's in a nutshell, Yeah. you know, I, I think uh, a little bit about my story. Yeah, no, I love that. You know, speaking of being born in Korea, South Korea, and immigrating to America when you were six, one of the things that that I've always, uh, whenever I'm around a Korean man, I just think of my son, who is now almost a, a man. You know, he is 17 years old. He's a young man. And uh, he we adopted him from uh, from mm -hmm. Seoul. And, you know, I, I, I think that for me, when I am, honestly, every single time I've been around you, there's just been this sense of, I don't know. I, I want to watch you and see you. And that there's this, this piece of me that is like adoption in, in general is complicated. International adoption is twice as complicated and international adoption. When you're a black man adopting a Korean son is triple complicated. And so, you mm. know, as, as Losiah and I have navigated our relationship and I've just, you know, obviously, you know, every day I fall in love with him more and more. I've always just been, I've, I've seen you and I've always just watched you a little bit more carefully because I think that what you have done and how you've not lost, you've lived in America almost your whole life, how you've not lost your Korean identity. T tell me, tell me about that, about that piece, just the Korean mm. part of you and how important that is. Cause that is something that I've made. I've tried to make sure that is, again, as my son has grown up in my home and that, that we have tried our hardest to give him as much mm. of that Korean identity as possible knowing that we can't give him what yeah. he truly needs. But tell me a little bit about why that piece and how you keep that piece just ingrained in who you are, even, you know, up until, you know, to your 50th year. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, man, uh, thanks for that question. Yeah. And it's meaningful. And thank you for being so thoughtful mm. about the way that you live into your calling as an adoptive parent. And uh, similarly, you know, when I first met you and I heard a little bit about your story, you know, I, I can't lie. I was very fascinated by by that story, you know, yeah. that triple complication, that intersections yeah. of all of those things. And I've been following you and your wife online as you parent your children, including you know, your son, Losiah. And, um, you know, for me, I, I think the reason why identity matters to us is that every one of us, regardless of our mm. context and background, yeah. every one of us at some point, and actually at multiple points of our lives, we're asking ourselves the quintessential existential question, who am I? Mm. Uh, all of us are asking that question. Yeah. Now we know that issues like gender and race and background and social economics, it all goes into it. Yeah. As followers of Jesus, I'm not trying to give a blanket statement. Sure. We know that that's the cornerstone yeah. of how we see everything. Uh, so for me, as a follower of Jesus, I know that being a child of God is the pinnacle. It's the cornerstone by which I see everything. Mm. And because of that, it actually gives me more empowerment to live into who I believe in God's sovereignty God called me to be. So yeah. I was born yeah. in South Korea. It is not the one and only way in which I see myself. But I believe that in God's goodness, God's mercy, God's grace, he called me to be a Korean yes. and now a Korean-American biracial person, if you will, yeah. or a bicultural person. So it's always been important to me, but I've also gone on a journey. As a six-year-old, when I immigrated to this country, it's kind of a, a crazy story, but my parents never told me that we were going to be leaving Korea. Wow. It was only at the airport that I found out that we were leaving the country. Yeah. I had no idea what America was, had never been on an airplane, but they just thought that as a six-year-old boy, yeah. I wasn't able to process that. And, you know, I, I think they made a mistake sure. when I got on that airplane. <laughs> Man, I was so heartbroken because mm. I had no idea what was happening. Got off the airplane in San Francisco, January 1977. One week later, I'm in Sherman Elementary School in first grade class. Ended up flunking first grade because the most intimidating thing that I could do as a six-year-old immigrant was raising my hand to, to speak, wow. not knowing how to speak English. And so I ended up flunking first grade because sadly, uh, I needed to raise my hand occasionally to go to the bathroom, but I couldn't muster the courage to do so. Wow. And so I, I would wet my pants once or twice every month or so. And, uh, you know, first graders yeah. can be a little brutal sometimes. Sure. And it created a lot of uh, fear and anger and confusion. Ended up uh, having a fear of people speaking mm. in public, developed a stuttering problem, was voted the shyest kid in really? middle school. And so there's a lot of story. You know, I'm married to a therapist. <laughs> and uh, yeah. now you know why I'm married to a therapist, yeah. you know. Uh, praise God for free therapy. <laughs> totally. I'm, I, I'm so afraid that one of these days my wife Minhee is going to send me an invoice, <laughs> and it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be a bad story. But you know, somewhere along that journey, yeah, I hated who I was. Wow, I hated where I came from. 
I was angry at my parents. Mm. And I went through these teenage angst years yeah. where I struggled with, do I want to be alive? Mm. Do I want to be here in the U.S.? Uh, one of the more uh, emotional stories for me was as a young boy, our parents, our family ran a grocery store in San Francisco. Okay. And when they weren't watching, I would go through the Sunday newspaper not knowing that coupons weren't actual money. Oh. And I would, I would clip all the coupons in every single Sunday newspaper, uh, believing that it was money so that I could conjure up enough money to fly back to Korea. Yeah. Yeah. Our parents found out because customers would come back and say, where are the coupons in the Sunday newspapers? But uh, long story short, um, I think I went through a journey. And yeah. it was only later in life, uh, around a, as a high schooler, as a college student, especially after I became a follower of Christ, that I came to peace mm. about who I am. And as I found peace, I think I've really embraced my language, my culture. Yeah. And I think when you embrace who you are, you also don't just give a blanket embracing of all things. You have the courage to acknowledge there are beautiful things, yeah. but there are also things that are not healthy and not good yeah. and not healthy to pass on. And so I think I, I, I find myself in a place as a 52-year-old man now, really embracing uh, who I am, yeah. that I'm a, a Korean-American bicultural person, a follower of Jesus, and I love that I get to pass this on to my three grown children as well. If there's one thing that my family fights over every single day, it's my Simple Modern Trek tumbler. That's right. Like, you've probably seen their 40-ounce Trek tumbler on social media. But let me tell you, it's not on social media in my life. It is in my hand. It fits perfectly in my truck. And it keeps this 49-year-old body hydrated. I love not only that Simple Modern has given and created this tumbler for us, but they've got so much more. Simple Modern is a fast-growing company that is one of the top drinkware providers to Target, Walmart, and Amazon, okay? They're the perfect brand for everything you need for this summer when it is hot outside. Now, they also have everything you need for back to school, right? They got backpacks, they got dishware, they got lunch bags, and all your favorite designs, and you can even get some of your favorite logos from your sports teams, all kinds of stuff. Just go to their website, okay? I love my Tumblr, and you're going to love whatever it is that you pick up. Their website that I want you to go to is this. Go to www.simplemodern.com slash human hope. And by sharing your email, you'll get a unique discount code just for you, or you can bundle and save for back to school. Again, friends, please go to www.simplemodern.com slash human hope. Y'all remember the Flintstone vitamins? I loved them. Why? Because they were candy. Like literally candy in disguise. They called it a vitamin and my parents were letting me pop those things, but they were filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals and all kinds of other stuff that my little, my little eight-year-old body in 1981 didn't need. That's why Haya was created. Haya! 
is the pediatrician-approved superpower chewable vitamins. While most kids' vitamins are filled with, again, five grams of sugar, and all that can contribute to a variety of health issues, Hyatt is made with zero sugar, zero gummy junk, and it tastes great and is perfect for picky eaters. I may even try this vitamin on one of my daughter's boyfriends to see if they like it, and I will let you know the results. Okay, formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Hyatt is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins, minerals, including vitamin D, B12, C, and zinc, and so many more. And all this stuff supports immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and so much more. Okay, I love the taste of Hyatt and I know that your kids will too. Because if a 49-year-old man's going to love it, I promise they will too. We've worked out a special deal with Hyatt for their best-selling children's vitamins. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash Human Hope. I need all y'all. Okay, not all y'all. How about 10 of y'all to go to HayaHealth.com slash Human Hope. That is H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash Human Hope and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. You know, I, I know that even again with, with my son and how, how I talked about those three issues that, that, that come together in his life and in our story. And knowing that I, I tell Osiah all the time, I'm like, Hey, listen, so, you know, I just, I know that you're going to go to therapy to talk about me. Like, like, I, like, I already know that, that, that I've, I've already put you in therapy mm-hmm. just from the moment I adopted you. Like, like that, that is, that is something that you will continue to process. But one of the things I think for me, when, when I first realized this identity piece that you're talking about, we went to, you know, we, we live in Nashville, Tennessee. So, th- I mean, and then throw that in. We were in LA where there's lots of Korean Americans there. And then suddenly we, we moved to Nashville and it's like, oh my gosh, mm. this is like white Southernville. And so, mm. you know, we, I, this was probably four years ago, we went to, on a trip to Beijing and I'll never forget, you know, cause I'm just not thinking about this until this moment. We, we got off that plane and Losiah started walking around with his, I don't know, he just, it was a swagger, I, I think I, 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 I mm. would call it. And it was the first time, and I, I mean, I, I, I tear up thinking about it right now. It was the first time in his entire life, he was probably mm. 13, that he was the one that looked like everybody else. And mm. I was the one that he was experiencing mm. what, what life is like here. And wow. Eugene, man, like, like one day we were trying to hail a cab. And again, this is, this is, is China. It wasn't Korea, but, but we we're trying, I was trying to hail a cab and none of them were stopping for me. And he's like, dad, let me do it. And he kind of gets mm. out in front of me, listen up, er, er, they put the brakes on and they stop. And he just, and that was the moment, Eugene, that I was like, identity is so important. Like it's actually more important than I ever thought it was. And so just, just what you're mm. saying is even so, you know, important for me, even as a 17 year old right now to continue to pour into who he is as a Korean American, it is vital, mm. you know, and, and it just, it makes mm. me want to, to pour wow. even more into that. So thanks for sharing mm. that. No, it's beautiful, man. Thanks for sharing. But let's just be, let's also be real honest here because there is nothing that helps you embrace Korean identity like Korean food. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> let's go, bro. Let's, let's go. go. No, that is true. And that is what my wife makes like the best. There's one thing she decided to start cooking when she got home. It was dukboki. 
and and she makes the best. Uh, it's so good. And so we go to H Mart in Atlanta. We go. We're, we're always there, and we're always getting uh, bringing all that back, mm. man. Korean food is where it's at, bro. Uh, I, I'm a little <laughs> nervous that you're spilling all of our secrets, H Mart, to, to, to your listeners because the lines are long. To they begin are, with. bro. You got to get in there to that food court, uh, and you got to get yourself uh. some of that stuff. It is. Uh, it's so good. I love it. You know, one of the, one of the things that you you love to do. That I love to do. That actually, the reason why I love to do it is I found out when we adopted Losiah was that his father was a fisherman, and so I was never a fisherman until I found that out, and then I decided to start fishing. And I look behind you on your on your uh, like bookshelf back there, and I see a, a hat with a trout on it. Is that? It? Let's talk about fishing for a second. Is that something that you do to refill yourself? Is this something that you're just addicted to? You can't get enough of it? Like, where does kind of fishing fall? My listeners know that I'm addicted to fishing, like like somebody would addic- mm. be addicted to drugs. Where does it fall mm. in your spectrum, fishing? Yeah. Well, uh, I love fishing. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I'm addicted just because I don't have enough time sure. to do it. <laughs> sure, sure. But I, I enjoy it. It really is part of my renewal, my Sabbath. Yes. It's how I replenish my soul. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you see the fishing hat, but maybe I am addicted because I've got like oh, fishing lures on my desk. <laughs> literally. As I, right now. Literally. Right now. So. Are those bass lures? What's happening there? They are bass lures. Yeah. I've got, you know, I, I've got my little shaky head yep. right here yep. i've got my little fluke right here yeah so maybe maybe i am I think uh, you maybe are. moving towards the I... uh, the addiction part but you know it's this is really interesting as you shared a little bit about losaya's father yeah the reason why i got into fishing is because of my father oh wow uh, he's not a man he's not a man of many words yeah um you know we can go fishing for five hours and maybe I can get five sentences from huh, him. No way. But it's the thing that we always did growing up. Wow. And so as a result, it's something that's very personal. It's yeah. not just part of my renewal. Yeah. It it it, it helps me rekindle my my relationship with him. Yeah. And even though we don't share a lot, the action in itself, the act of being together wow. is one of the most life-giving things. So we still try to go fishing together whenever we can. That man, I mean, that talk about truth bombs, you know, just, even if the conversation isn't there, the act of fishing is, is the conversation is the thing mm. that, that is bringing you guys together. I, I love that. Um, speaking of your father, your father, and I, I've just, I've just, cause I've known you and your story, you talk about when you were, uh, when you first immigrated to America, how, you know, you, you come, you immigrate. It's not like you land in 1977 and it's like, sweet, you got yourself a pad. You got yourself, uh, the, the fridge is full. You got your, like, like sweet, everything's awesome in America. No, like, like you guys landed and you actually had to suffer uh, through things that honestly, most Americans aren't suffering through. And now I say most, that, that doesn't mean there's not a lot that are. Talk to us a little bit about how maybe some of your heart towards helping those in need is based on some of the truth of your story in the beginning when you got here. Gosh, man, just reflecting on that question gets me emotional. Yeah. So apologies if, no, I, if I do get emotional and start crying a little bit, but my parents' stories obviously has impacted mine. Uh, when you're having a meal with your parents and your father tells you uh, that there were moments growing up for him that they had to pull out grass from the ground uh, 
and consume it because that was the only thing they could do to satisfy their hunger pangs. That as a teenager, my father's job was to scour the garbage cans outside of restaurants. And his job was to collect used eggshells. And he would take these used eggshells, hundreds of them, and give them to my grandmother, who would for days just grind the eggshells into fine powder. And she would then take the fine powder and pour it into boiling water. And this was kind of a hack for those who were experiencing hunger and poverty and malnutrition because the dust from the eggshells was their source of vitamin C. Wow. And and so when you live in that context, even now uh, as a 52-year-old, you know, uh, we're a a middle-class family, we've got a nice house, we've got cars, but, you know, it still impacts the way that we see things. You know, we don't like wasting food. We don't uh, like wasting anything just because that's kind of the the background that we grew up in. And even as an immigrant, you know, we worked hard. I began working literally the week after we landed. All of us, my brothers and I, I'm the youngest of three sons, but we all had jobs working at our family grocery store right after school to 11 p.m. at night. As a seven-year-old, the apartment that we were living in um, experienced a devastating fire Uh, No one told us about insurance. And so we lost everything in that fire. And so we were living in our grocery store uh, for some time as well. And and so, yeah, I think when you when you experience these things, it gives you a sense of perspective. Mm. In addition to just personal gratitude, you begin to realize that there are women and men and children, both in our nation and around the world that are struggling with hunger and poverty. And it doesn't have to be this way. Mm. And, and so I think, if anything, it's really helped me to to have a deeper sense of empathy. Yeah. Uh, to place to place yourself in one another's shoes, if you will. And for us, uh, that empathy is because of some experiences sure. that we've uh, gone through in our own personal lives. The uh, you you said two things within five seconds. There, you said that there are people that are struggling with hunger currently like like right now like like in america like first of all i think just like as a an average middle middle class american you know that that i just had a shipped order uh sent to my house from costco and the chickens come in and like i i don't think that the average listener to my podcast even understands unless they see somebody on the street that's homeless on the, on the corner of the, you know, of the freeway on ramp, they think, oh, well, of course they're hungry. But what, what I think you're saying is, no, there's more people that are hungry than that demographic, demographic of people. Unpack to, to us a little bit. What, what is hunger in America right now? And like, like what, give me some data, give me, some, open our eyes a little bit to hunger in America and even around the world. Sure. So there's, let me share about it both from a local context and then I'll share about it globally. But let me begin with locally. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. There is this thing called hidden hunger. Yeah. If we don't see it directly with our eyes, someone that might be homeless living out on the street corners. But the reality is right now we have about 42 million Americans who rely on something called Food Snaps, a program called SNAP, okay. to be able to have enough food 
to basically have enough nutrition, uh, enough sustenance for their lives. Yes. That also includes approximately 10, 11 million children in our nation today. So wow. people basically contend that there's about, you know, one out of every eight or nine folks experience some level of food insecurity. That basically means they're not getting enough food to live healthy lives. And this is in the wealthiest nation in the world. Now, we knew that that number increased dramatically during the heart of the pandemic. Okay. But now that the pandemic is mostly over, we know that it still exists. And when you as an adult or a child don't have enough food to eat, it literally impacts everything that you do. So imagine a uh, an 11-year-old girl or boy in an urban or rural setting not having enough food to eat or they're depending on the food that they receive at school uh -huh. for their one or only nutritious meal. They're not able to learn. They're not able to grow. It impacts everything. Sadly, that's happening in our nation right now. I'll, I'll just share a story why yeah. so many people might not know this is happening. So many years ago when my wife and I, we were planting a church in Seattle, things didn't quite go as we imagined. And the next thing you know, I was unemployed, didn't have health insurance, and couldn't pay our bills. We were hmm. in a real difficult situation. And so during that time, I had to learn, uh, meet a social worker, and eventually got on food stamps. It wasn't what we imagined for ourselves. And just to be very candid, I think I began to experience a sense of shame. I was wow. like, oh my gosh, here I am, a 30-year-old yeah. pastor who's gone through school, and, and here I am uh, on food stamps. And that program called the WIC program, okay. Women, Infant, and Children, was really impactful for my wife and I and our children. We were also on a program in Washington called the DSHS, which helped us out with insurance costs. Uh, my wife at that time gave birth to our second child and because of health complications, we received a bill for a quarter million dollars. So imagine a 30 year old church planter yeah, and my wife and our two kids then, and just imagine the weight of the entirety of all of these things. And had it not been for these safety net programs yeah. that were designed to help people go through these circumstances, uh, we would have been in a dramatically, dramatically painful situation. Fast forward several years, during a sermon, I shared about that season of my life. You know, prior to that, I think, again, because of that stigma or sure. shame. And so I began to share that story in a sermon, and I was blown away by the number of people in my church who I thought I knew really well. I, I, yep. feel, I thought I knew their situation, their context, but the number of people that texted, that emailed, that wrote to me to say, in essence, me too. Mm. This is my story right now. We're struggling with food. We're wow. struggling with getting enough uh, on our tables to feed our children. And it was at that moment that I realized that, you know, this is not happening just over there. Sure. It's not happening in some, you know, at a, at a local food pantry. This is also happening in our neighborhoods, in our families, and even in our pews right now. So, yes, there's about 42 million people 
that are on this food food snap program and it kind of gives you a glimpse of the yeah. fact that there's a lot more struggles that we're going through now globally speaking sure there are people that are saying that we are in the gl worst global hunger crisis in the last 50 years. Wow. And this is as a result of COVID, a result of conflict, the war in Ukraine that has impacted the global food systems, the realities and challenges of climate change, whether wherever you might be on that spectrum uh -huh. as you deal with climate change. When you speak with smallholder farmers in nations around the world, they will tell you, uh, that climate is impacting their lives. And wow. so because of those things, uh, we are in one of the worst global hunger crises in the last 50 years. I'll just give you some statistics. Yeah. Uh, about 828 million people right now are experiencing hunger. Approximately 50 or so million people are on the on the verge of starvation where their bodies are wasting, which literally means that but their bodies, even if you give them food, the bodies don't quite know how to process that food. And so they're in a very dire, difficult circumstance. Yeah. Uh, so these are kind of a landscape of what's happening right now as we speak. And so you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that you are splitting time, spending time in DC, spending time in Seattle uh, at your family home. The reason why you're spending time in DC is because you you have you have the the current iteration of my friend Eugene is now spending his time and his energy in what I believe is trying to not only bring awareness but bring solution to uh, hunger. And now we're like, okay, holy crap, like, that's a lot of freaking people that are hungry right now. Here I am listening to this podcast. What do I do, Eugene? Like, like what, what, what's happening? Like, is there, is there something to do? Or am I, are we just stick our heads in the sand and be like, well, we're just going to burn up in 50 years anyway. Let's just let it, you know, like there's, what do we do? The sky is falling. Mm. Help us. Yeah. So about three years ago, I took on this um, call, if you will, yeah. to become the next president of an organization called Bread for the World. Okay. And for those that might be hearing about Bread for the World for the first time, you can visit us obviously online at bread.org. But Bread for the World is a Christian advocacy organization whose mission is to help end hunger by informing and impacting legislation laws and policies okay so there are there are many ways in which we can respond the one thing that we cannot do is do nothing that is not an option so we can certainly help people individually we can help through church pantries and food banks yep. we can help through relationships we can also help through direct relief organizations okay there's many that i'm sure your listeners are familiar with my wife and i also have a, an organization called one day's wages in yep. which we still are very involved with that but what we're trying to do at bread for the world is that we believe that as individuals have a responsibility, that as churches have a responsibility, that as society has a responsibility, we also believe and are convicted that our government mm. and governments around the world also have a responsibility. That when we give our taxpayer money, we are asking and urging our lawmakers to yeah. do the right, moral, compassionate, merciful, just thing 
so that our moral, that our budgets are also a moral document that seeks to help our neighbors, both in our neighborhoods, in rural, in urban, in city, in our nation and around the world, experience not hunger, but experience nourishment because I truly believe that one of the most important ways to human flourishing is that we have to experience being fed and have the nutrition to experience that. And so theologically, for me as a follower of Jesus, I want people to hear Jesus is the bread of life and I want people to be fed yeah. uh, that they would never experience hunger. So that's what Bread for the World does. And okay. so we work on policies like the child tax credit on the SNAP program. Right now, we're working on something called the Farm Bill, which I'm happy to go into. And then we're also working on global legislation. I'll just share one yeah, if I can. This is great. Last year, last year, Bread for the World, we had been working on a, a particular legislation called the Global Malnutrition Prevention and Treatment Act. And it took us about two years, two years to work on one bill. And this bill, it prioritizes fighting malnutrition. Uh, the fact that a child every 11 seconds experiences death in the world is truly, truly sobering. It is truly unacceptable. And so this particular bill prioritizes nutrition, calls for our government to play a dramatic leadership role. And so after two years, uh, the president and Congress passed it overwhelmingly and the president signed it into law on October 19th of last year. And over the duration of this bill, you know, we believe based on our research that that bill will impact tens of millions of women and children around the world. Wow. And so that's what Bread for the World does. We believe that as these conversations are happening, even in spite of a crazy polarized landscape in our nation, we believe the church that Christians, followers of Jesus need to yeah. be at the table. And we're asking people to join us, to to send letters, to, to, to call their members of Congress, to pray with us. Uh, that's what I'm currently doing in this in this chapter of my life. Have you trusted me yet with your indeed.com? person you're going to hire. Okay. I I know that hiring is challenging, but you love a challenge and you also need a hiring partner that can help you with that challenge. That is going to be Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do all of it. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description. Get this, the moment they sponsor a job according to Indeed data. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because they get us one step closer to the hire by matching us with quality candidates. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash human hope. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash human hope. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash Human Hope and support the show by saying you heard about this on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Human Hope. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. You haven't been to the doctor in a long time and suddenly something's hurting and you're like, well, which doctor do I go to? I don't know. Do I go to mine? You may not even have a general practitioner. You're on Google. You're looking. You got all these websites, all these reviews. What in the world do you do? Well, you don't do that. You go to ZocDoc. That is Z-O-C-D-O-C. ZocDoc is the place where you get to find certified, reviewed, actual doctors close to you in your neighborhood. Raise your hand if any of this sounds like you, right? You obsessively follow that super credible health expert on TikTok, and then suddenly you're like, well, I don't know. Like, who do I talk to? I don't know what to do. Listen, all you've got to do is go to ZocDoc so you can skip all that and actually find yourself a doctor that is real life. There's thousands of top rated doctors on ZocDoc. They're all listed with verified patient reviews so you can find and book a doctor who not only has years of experience and an actual medical degree, but also gets you. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance and are located near you and treat almost any condition you are searching for. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Human Hope and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash Human Hope. ZocDoc.com slash Human Hope. The, the fact that you are working on creating legislation and laws and working on things on the government side of things, you know, I, I, I think, you know, a lot of listeners will know that, yeah, you know, my church has a food pantry or we've got the, but, but to know that how important it is that governments literally get involved in solving the hunger crisis in their countries. I guess a question that I would a- I have for you is, I mean, in my head, that's just, common sense. Like in my head, it's like, well, of course, like if you're a lawmaker and you're in DC or wherever, like you're going to want, you're going to want to do that. But, but are you, are you telling me that there actually are lawmakers that, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to put it blatantly don't want to solve the uh, hunger crisis in America, but are, are, are there, is there really opposition to what you're trying to get done? Like, are you running into politicians that are like, you know what? No, like, like it, it should be harder to get in the, in this food program. It should be, you know, it, like, are you actually having to, to face those battles in DC as well? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, let me zoom out. I think yeah. sometimes there are people that might be listening to this podcast yeah. and they'll say, you know, this is not the government's responsibility. Sure. Uh, you know, it's it's people, and if churches were simply doing what they're doing, we would be okay. And, you know, I would agree in part. We should never abdicate the totality of our responsibility to the government. Yeah. Everyone should do something. Churches should do something. It's part of our mandate. Yeah. It's part of our identity, if you will. But having said that, I also believe Theologically, for those who are listening that come from that worldview, theologically, I I believe that God instituted family, God institutes the church, and God institutes the government as well. Hmm. The government has a moral responsibility. Now, I will say that I don't think anyone is calling their member of Congress to say, 
uh, hello, Mr. or Mrs. Congressperson. I want more people to be hungry. I, I don't <laughs> right. think anyone is doing right. that. Right. And I've never heard a member of Congress or people in the administration say yeah. that they want people to not have food and starve. Right. I think the challenge, though, is solutions. Yes. How do we go about doing it? And it's also about the challenges of playing politics mm. in a hyper polarizing sure. landscape. So I'll, I'll just give an example yeah. that might be relevant to your listeners. Yeah. In the last few years during the height of the pandemic, there was something that Bread for the World advocated for, we spoke on behalf of called the child tax credit. Okay. And the child tax credit was super instrumental. I've met so many people who have basically said that the child tax credit was so transformative for their families wow. during a very difficult time, right? During COVID, people lost jobs, people couldn't pay rent, the cost of food went up dramatically. Yeah. And the child tax credit basically gave income or credit to parents or families that had children. And that was part of something called the American Rescue Plan. But during that time, what we learned is for the one year that the child tax credit was instituted, it reduced childhood hunger in the United States. This is all data that was produced by bipartisan organizations. Yeah. It reduced hunger by 24%. In wow. one year, wow. it reduced childhood hunger by 24%. These experts believe that if we were to institute the child tax credit just permanently, it would reduce childhood hunger in the U.S. by 50%. Wow. Wow. So it was, it was instituted for one year, and then it ended. Unfortunately, it ended. It wasn't able to continue. And now what the data shows is that after it ended, childhood hunger in the U.S., the wealthiest nation in the world, has now gone up by 25%. Wow. So we have hard numbers yeah. that show that this is simply legislation. Yeah. Now I know everything costs something. We know that. Yeah. We know everything costs something. It's not free. For me, as a taxpayer, yeah. I want my taxes to help children come out of hunger and poverty. Sure. It's a no-brainer for me. And so even though members of Congress and our leaders might not want children to go into Hungary, they do have different solutions. Yeah. And we're trying to encourage people, let's get into a room. Let's not be formed by, you know, the polarization, sure. by cable news. Let's do what we believe makes the most sense for the common good of our children, of our families, of our cities, rural and, and urban. Uh, and let's also make sure that as a nation that has been tremendously blessed by material resources, we have a privilege, a responsibility to also do what we can to support people all around the world. That is, um, wow. I mean, it, it, it takes my mind to how can I or how can a listener immediately like right now go, okay, 
I'm in. Like, like this is something I want to help Eugene with. This is something that I feel like I could do right now. Like, what's what's a good next step that maybe somebody can can immediately do to partner with what you're doing or to to really help with this tangibly? So, number one, I would encourage people to visit bread.org okay. and sign up to receive our newsletters. Okay, right. That's the that's the first thing. And the second thing is then learn to kind of be educated. Yeah. About what does it mean to be an informed citizen as light and salt? Yeah. You know, we're called to be light and salt. How do we become informed citizens? So let's make sure. And I, I and Carlos, I, I write about this in, in my book. I wrote a book a couple of years ago yeah. called Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk. Okay. Yes. A Christian's Guide to Engaging Politics. So I, I'm a firm believer. Politics is not the ultimate answer. It's yes. not the ultimate answer, but it is one way in which we can love our neighbors both yeah. near and far. And so what I would ask people to do is let's not reduce our civic engagement to one vote every four years. Yep. That's uh, good. That's not what we should be doing. Yes. And if we do that, I would humbly contend that we're actually part of the problem and not part of the solution. So let's learn to be light and salt. Let's learn to cross the street. Let's learn to be engaged with issues in our neighborhood, in our cities, in our schools. And then certainly, I just think hunger has to be a nonpartisan, bipartisan issue. Like we should not see this from a right or left, from a Republican or Democrat, from a red or blue issue. No person deserves to go hungry, especially children in our nation and around the world. So I would encourage people to sign up for a newsletter. And the second thing is then Join Bread for the World uh-huh. so that you can lend your voice yeah. by writing letters or calling members of Congress. And then certainly the last thing that I would say is help your church. Mm. Uh, we, we're looking for churches. We're looking for small groups to learn to become part of what we're doing. Uh, last thing that I'll just yeah. share last week, and, and I know that you'll be airing this podcast in the near future, but just recently, yeah. uh, Bread for the World, we hosted our annual advocacy summit. Okay. So about... 250 members from around the country. Uh, we have, you know, tens and tens of thousands of members from around the country, but we were able to invite strategic members, about 250 people, uh, to educate them on the farm bill, to educate yeah. them on the Food Donation Act, to educate them on the McGovern Dole Food for Education, Food for Peace Act. I know all of it sounds a little intimidating, but all of this is important legislation. And the reason why politics matter is because it informs policies that yeah. impact people Every time I read the Bible, I know that God cares about people. Yes. And so we were able to invite people from around the country to actually meet with their members of Congress or their staff to advocate for these particular legislation and bills. And so we would love for people uh, to partner with us. Uh, in taking those steps. So good. Well, just just so the listeners know, I literally, when I'm done with this interview, am signing up for the newsletter because you have you have placed this in my heart. And I just I so appreciate your not only your passion, but your obedience and just who you are, man. I just I just love you and everything about you. And so I just am so grateful that you were able to share with us, you know, what's at the tip of your heart right now. Brother, thank you again so much. And I'm cheering you on. And I genuinely, sincerely mean that for you, for your family. Thanks for all that you do. And I look forward to 
running into each other, uh, and then maybe we can partner together in some tangible way yeah. uh, for things that I know that both of us care deeply about. Absolutely, absolutely. And then at the end of that, we'll go fishing. Hey, <laughs> we have to go fishing. Let's yes. get. We gotta get brother Derwin, Derwin Gray. Yeah, we we got it. We got it. Right. We got to pull out a big fat bass together right in front of him, so he can't talk anymore. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. it. Thank you, Eugene. Um, wow. Impactful. Makes me grateful. Sobers me to the reality that so many Americans are living in. Uh, and really gives me pause to think, what is it that I can do? 42 million Americans who rely on food stamps. That's 11 million children. And one in eight people experience some level of food insecurity. Eugene, we are going to help. And so friends, in the show notes, there's going to be a link where you guys can join with bread.org and help us solve this problem. Nobody has to be hungry. Nobody has to be hungry. Thanks, Eugene. Super powerful. And also follow him on Instagram and all the things. Let him feel the love from the human hope. Familia. Okay. Hey, listen, this is what we're going to do now. We are going to hit up some Dr. Delight. You know what? Dr. Delight deserves more than 30 seconds. So I'm going to actually talk over a little bit more of Dr. Delight than I normally do. Dr. Delight, hit it for us, please. Hey, hey. Hey, I'm going to give it to you guys. You guys know what to do. Ready? Here we go. Ah, hopefully you said it. Men, women, and children, hope is in the building. We're gonna have a rap off. Rory, I need you. Rory, the rapper who created the rap, I need you. Please come rescue my raps. Hey, friends, that is it. You know what I want you to do. I want you to please subscribe, follow the podcast. It is super helpful, but even more helpful is if you rate the podcast, review the podcast, and share the podcast. Rate, review, share. We're gonna rate, review, and share. We're going to rate, review, and rate, review, and rate, review, and share. Oh, man. I mean, I am I'm already there. Okay, so please share the podcast. Let everybody know, especially something like today's conversation. The more people that can lean into helping end hunger, the better. All right. God, I'll see you next week on another episode of Human 